We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what's up, Roto-Grinders, and welcome to Sharp DFS Analysis here on Roto-Grinders.com. My name is Chris Cimino. I'll be hosting this show, which is all about Vegas-driven strategy and analysis from an advanced analytics standpoint. Uh, joining me to go over the Week 9 action in the National Football League, we've got uh, two of the brightest minds in the industry. First, let's go to Senior DFS Editor at 444.com. You can find him on Twitter at Chris Raybon. It's Chris Raybon. What's going on, man? What's going on, Chris? What's going on, Warren? Crazy last 24 hours. I'm as... We're about to record this last 36 hours, so I know we got a lot to get into, so it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I'm convinced that the the National Football League is in the upside down right now. We are in an alternate universe where things are going absolutely insane. Uh, One person that's been dealing with that for the last week is Warren Sharp on Twitter, at Sharp Football. Warren, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going, guys? Happy to be here. Happy to break down some games with you all. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy stuff. And we're halfway through the season. You know, it's time. First of all, if you guys are out there, it's like, you know, 9 p.m. East right now. NBA's on. Turn off the NBA. Start taking notes. We're going back over some stuff we talked about all year long. This is important for you if you're playing NFL this Sunday. If you want to try to learn something here from this show, I need you to pay attention to what we're about to talk about because it's some critical uh, strategy as far as Vegas and analytics are concerned. Now, what we talked about as one of our main points this year, guys, is not just finding high total games to leverage for DFS purposes. We're looking for games that actually go over the totals. That's really one of the things that can help us find value from a DFS perspective is finding those games that just obliterate expectations. And, you know, I'll use the Houston-Seattle game last week uh, for reference. You know, that was a high total game, but it still went well over uh, the total by the the time that was all said and done. I think this week uh, there's some games that might fit that bill as well. So it's not just necessarily finding the ones that are high total games because you know, early in the season, the high total games weren't even performing that well. We want to find games that go over the total. Chris, you've done a lot of work on this. What can you tell us about this particular strategy? Well, the first really key thing for people to know is that when a game goes over the total, it goes over by an average of 10 points. And when a team goes over its implied point total, it goes over by an average of about seven Points. And the same thing for the under. So it goes on, the games go under by an average of 10 points and a team will go under its implied team total by an average of 10 points. So you really do want to have an opinion on these games. You don't want to just follow the Vegas line. And I know we'll talk about Vegas lines and the fact that they don't actually come from Vegas in a few minutes. I know Warren wants to hit on that, but you really do have to take a stand on these games in one way or another, because the Vegas lines are just kind of a median value, a midpoint. Um, and every, we got to think in terms of probabilities here. And the probability of a game hitting exactly its Vegas total is a lot lower than the probability of it going five points higher, seven points higher, 10 points higher, for example. So that's really something to keep in mind as you kind of look through the slate. The, the Vegas lines, I think, are best used 
as a, a barometer of public perception. You can look at those and see, okay, this is what the public is kind of thinking. And now what do I think? And that's really how you want to start to approach the NFL slates and really any sport um, that, that you're playing DFS with. Yeah, definitely very important to be considering uh, those, those factors as it relates to the totals of the games. Now, Warren, you know, people are using these betting markets as, you know, as gospel. They'll, they'll target high total games. They'll ignore mid-total and low-total games, and they'll, you know, they'll sort of skip over the part where they come up with their own opinion. I mean, you've got some thoughts on this too, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's vital extremely vital to be able to formulate your own opinion. Um, we look at it. I mean, you guys look at it. You, you see the lines. If you don't see the lines, you know, there's a free lines page at a bunch of different places. There's one at sharpfootballanalysis.com. You can look at, you can see the lines on these games. You can see that the lines move, the totals move. Um, why would they move if these totals were such great numbers set by the books that are infallible, you know, that are gospel? Uh, they, they're not going to, but the fact that totals will move three, four, five points, sometimes more, tells you that the books realize that they are not the smartest people in the room when it comes to setting totals. Now, obviously, they're trying to balance money, but if they didn't respect a person's money whatsoever and they thought they were such in the right on a particular game, they are not going to adjust that game. And that's what people need to understand is books are in, in this not to lose money, but they on occasion will take positions on games where they are lopsided and are rooting for a specific result to occur. In other words, they think that they are more comfortable with, with the lopsidedness that they're getting because they feel like their position is going to succeed more often than it fails. These totals get bet all over the place. And, uh, this, the market, the Vegas market, quote-unquote Vegas market, and as uh, Chris mentioned, and uh, it's, it's not really – these numbers don't originate in Vegas. They originate most of the time in Costa Rica offshore. They get copied by the Vegas books and spread throughout the industry. But these lines are not like the gospel. Um, they're, they, you should be viewing them as a sanity check. You know, but the reality is you don't really need that as a sanity check. I mean, if you see Kansas City versus Dallas, do you really think that this total would be set at like 40? Um, no, you think that it's going to be set pretty high with these two offenses and bad defenses. If you see the uh, Bengals are playing the Jaguars, do you think this total is going to be set in the 50s? No. So you don't really actually need that to tell you what you whether or not you think the game is going to be higher or lower scoring. But you can look at it just to make sure you're not insane for a moment and just, oh, yeah, this is about what I was thinking. But people get too caught up in like, well, is it, is it 51 or is it 52? Well, okay, so it's 52, so it's, it's the highest total on the board this week. Like, this is the biggest one, you know, as opposed to like the other one that's 51 or the other one that might be 49. Like, thinking that that really makes a difference as to whether or not this game is going to go over or under the total. Um, now, the other thing that I think that I don't think we've talked about yet on the show this year, and I know we're going to be spinning things that we've talked about before, but this is one angle that I think you guys should look at totals um, when you're using them for DFS. And that is that you don't have to be right on every single total. You just have to be right on the total of the player that you think that you're going to be inserting. For example, you can pretend that Vegas is correct on all of these totals that they put out there. Um, with the exception of two that you really like players from. And those are the games that you're going to target because you think those games are light. Okay. You don't need to spend so much time focusing on, oh, well, are they right or wrong? This total's at 44. And I think it's a little bit too high. I would set it at 43 and a half. Like, forget about that. Okay. If you're looking at the game that you think is like, for, for instance, the game we put out last week, the uh, Houston Seattle game, I bet that over at 43 within four minutes that thing had moved from 43 to 45 two full points in four minutes since I released it and obviously that was the most exciting entertaining game of the year potentially um obviously went well over it was 21 to 21 at halftime um so we had a great output a great result um that game was not even close to the Patriots and the Chargers which I believe was set upwards of like 49 to 50 points 
was the total for that game. Yet we saw a game that was significantly lower scoring, obviously much less entertaining, much less fantasy goodness as, uh, as the term is. So you really just have to look at it from the perspective that, because this is how I do it too, from the betting side of things. I don't look at, I look at the whole board and I compare them to what my totals are by my algorithm. And I see which games they're off on. And the games that are close, like between my number and their number, I'll just make sure that there aren't any key injuries. There's nothing else that I wasn't factoring in. And then I'll move along. I'm not going to waste time on those games. And if you can isolate just a few games each week where you think the bookmaker is wrong, and that's what I do, that's when you can have a lot of success, whether you're betting or playing DFS. Um, for you guys, it's about which games are set too low that you think should be set higher where you're going to spot some uh, great plays. And actually, conversely, which games might be set like the Patriots game at 50 that you think doesn't stand a chance to sniff that. And so you're going to stray from those plays because you know they're going to have high ownership from the DFS community that week. And you want to avoid that trap and go with guys from other games that you think might have more value regardless of the total, specifically even from games that are totaled less than that. And when you focus on specific games and look for, okay, where are they off? And that's where I'm going to attack. That is how I'm hitting 72% on totals this year, 67% last year, 72% the year before. Those numbers aren't sustainable. There's, there's not a chance that I'll be able to continue that level of success. But all you really need is like 55% and you're turning a profit in the NFL. Um, I'm 61% long term. And the way that I'm winning long term, that's like in my 12th year right now, is by targeting the specific games that they're off in. I'm not going to set all their totals and predict that, you know, certain games I think are close. I'm going to attack the ones that I think are the most off. And that's the advantage that we have as betters and that you guys have as DFS players in that you don't have to bet the whole board. Just look for those specific matchups and edges and attack those. And I think your guys, your community, DFS community does a great job at doing that at attacking those edges and finding those weak points. Um, but that's why I don't think you need to worry about like, oh, what are the totals on every single game this week? Um, you know, focus on those key ones that are set too low that you want to attack or the games that you think will have high ownership because they're set so high that you might want to fade. For instance, if you think this Kansas City-Dallas game is going to be much lower scoring, you got valuable reasons to support that, then this would be a great game to fade because you know that a lot of people will see this total and are going to be playing – players from this game just because of that total. And, uh, and that's kind of the way that you want to operate, I think. Yeah, this is why we wanted to readdress this point, just because it is so important. It's one of the reasons we set up the show. What we did, we're going to talk about some games that we have uh, some interest in from a Vegas perspective that they may be off on in just a little bit. And Chris, you know, just because Vegas isn't totally predictive, though, you know, we, we, we are looking for ways that we could find an edge on what Vegas slash the betting market has set for us. It doesn't mean that we can completely throw out the window some of these Vegas-driven trends that people talk about so often, like home favorites. And there's, there's a whole laundry list of archetypes people look at from a Vegas line perspective. Uh, you, you've done a ton of research on this, and you found that combined with analytics on the game that you can still use some of these things to your advantage. Right. And I want to make the point that, you know, for example, we found that home favorite running backs tend to do better relative to their salary than, you know, running backs that are underdogs or running backs on the road that are favorites or whatever, not. And that's not because they're home favorites. That's not, that's not having any effect. It's just the, the fact that DFS sites, they have to set a salary for these players every week. And when we know that there's a home field advantage throughout pretty much every sport almost. And so what happens is if you're, if you find running backs on home favorites, that means their team is usually in a good spot. They're, they're the better team, and they're, they're playing at home where they probably have that little bit of a home field advantage that usually helps the offensive line. So, you know, uh, if, if you kind of flash this graphic up on the screen, I just took the top 25 players this year in terms of DraftKings points per game, and there's a column called CV. That's coefficient of variation. That's standard deviation divided by the mean. And the reason I bring that up is because you can see that a lot of players, they're varying, you know, week to week over 50%, 60%, 70% from their average fantasy points per game. And a lot of times those spikes are going to come in situations, for example, when, when a running back is a home favorite or a quarterback is a home favorite or something like that. And the, the reason this is important is because 
Think about it. A player, the average player, the average quarterback from week to week, their fantasy points are varying about 40, 50% from their average. Running backs, about 50%. Wide receivers, about 60, 65%. Tight ends, about 70%. DFS sites cannot vary their salaries by that. You can't just have a guy priced, you know, 5K one week and then vary his, you know, change his salary by 50%. And and all of a sudden, he's he's 25K or he's 75K the next week, and then he's back to to, to 25K again. That's just not going to happen. So because of that, you know, as DFS players, we have to take advantage of that variance and try to find those situations where that variance is going to spike in a positive manner. And when it does, there's no way that the DFS sites are going to be able to account for those spikes with their salary changes from week to week. You know, sometimes, yeah, you'll see a guy jump up maybe nine, 900 hours, a thousand hours. It's very rare, but even that, that's still nowhere near the, the 50, 60, 70% that most every player over, you know, even the short term, but the long term, especially is going to vary. So um, that's really what you have to keep in mind when it comes to, to these Vegas lines, it's that sites are, they have salary algorithms and they are valuing players and there are certain situations and some of them, there's not only the Vegas lines, there's all different types of situations where the sites just aren't properly valuing players. And for running backs, it happens to be home favorites, uh, defense, special teams, it's usually favorites in general, um, wide receivers, there's really nothing you can, there's really nothing there. Passing games, high variant. So, um, you know, that because it's the, the ball is being thrown in all these different places, you know, the targets are being split up. There's not really anything you could glean from Vegas there as much, but there are certain situations where DFS sites over the long term, over years, you know, I have data to back it up, are just undervaluing uh, players in certain situations. And those are the situations you want to attack because, again, the, the, the DFS salary algorithms are not going to be able to uh, jump up and down at the level that the player's fantasy point output is jumping up and down. Yeah, great stuff, Chris. And again, I'll reiterate that we want to use these types of tidbits of information as a beacon and not as a hard and fast rule. We see that like, you know, like LeGarrette Blunt is a home favorite, you know, this week against, uh, against Denver. Well, you're not going to probably gonna use LeGarrette Blunt this week, but you know, you might consider diving deeper into the analysis on a guy like a Leonard Fournette, who is also a rather, rather sizable home favorite this week. So there's, it's not like you can just take these sorts of things, apply them, liberally at your at your will you know you want to use some common sense on these types of trends but Chris just makes some outstanding points that these things are backed by data and that uh, there are situations positionally where you can take advantage of site pricing based on uh, these data-driven trends time to move on to the games guys we've got uh, some really interesting matchups this week Uh, let's first take a look at some of the games with uh, high overall totals Tampa Bay New Orleans Kansas City and Dallas uh, if you flash up the lines on the screen, producer, you'll see that those games are now pretty sizably ahead of the field. Uh, we'll talk about one of those games in just a second and why it's actually gone up uh, recently here today. We've also got the Rams and the Giants, the Jaguars and the Bengals, Falcons, Panthers, Baltimore, Tennessee, Arizona, Arizona San Francisco, all low total games that we need to be aware of for DFS. We can see if we can find any edge on what the betting markets have set there. Now, Warren. I uh, foreshadowed one of those high total games that you might want to talk about. Uh, what did you see today, and, and why did you go that direction when it came uh, to your business? Well, you know, one of the things that I think is uh, is helpful to talk about right now is narratives. And a lot of people um, create sort of like plays in their head as to like, okay, this is what I think, this is what I'm going to, this is what I like. And then they just fill in, backfill reasons to support it. And one of the things that I've been hearing a lot this week uh, prior to this morning is that this Kansas City Chiefs-Dallas Cowboys game is more likely to go over the total now that Ezekiel Elliott is not playing. Now, I'll preface this by knowing that we know that Ezekiel Elliott now is playing, but prior to this morning, we did not know. The impression was he was a real severe underdog to win. He probably was not playing. He wasn't practicing with the team, et cetera, et cetera. So they were preparing to go on without him. And, you know, I can't tell you the number of people that, now granted, I don't listen to that, 
like a, an extreme amount of people, but a lot of people that I, that I was listening to that were talking on different podcasts and things like that were talking about how this game is more likely to go over the total without him in there. And this to me is just somebody who wants to be on this total without really understanding the logic of that statement. Because um, you look at Ezekiel Elliott and where he struggled this year. It was back in weeks one where they didn't really have to do anything and he was just coming off the uh, off of the suspension. Week two when they played out in Denver against you know the number one run defense in the NFL and week three in Arizona and we talked about how Ezekiel is going to come around look at the schedule we predict the lower uh, production early on and then of course uh, on this very show it was after the bye we think that they're going to get him heavily involved he scores three touchdowns uh, explodes out in San Francisco and then has another great week last week where I believe he had two touchdowns and 150 rushing yards against the Redskins. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs are the number 31 run defense. Okay, They're a terrible run defense. The Dallas Cowboys strength this year as much as Ezekiel has quote-unquote fallen off or didn't play great to start the year this is the number one run team in the NFL they're the most efficient team in the NFL I got a variety of different rushing statistics and they're like number one or number two in pretty much all of those statistics um, you look at the Kansas City Chiefs and their strength is against the pass now we call it strength but they can be exposed they do have soft underbellies in the past defense thanks to some injuries that they've sustained um, but Dallas's weakness is in the passing offense um, you look at any of their metrics, they're not as good passing the ball as they are running the ball from an efficiency ranking and, and uh, success rate ranking and that sort of thing. So why would it be that because Dallas now has to pass the ball a little bit more, which is their weakness attacking the Kansas City strength, that we're going to see more points in this game? I understand that incomplete passes gain you nothing, but you're not just going to suddenly see an easy over just because Dallas is throwing the ball a little bit more. Guess what it takes to get an easy over oftentimes. I mean, nothing's that easy in the NFL, even though some of the games feel like they are. Um, early down success. And guess what? Ezekiel Elliott, when you hand him the ball on first down, he's successful 57% of the time. If you leverage in last year too, that's 58% success rate on first down. What that means is you're in second and very manageable if you're in second at all. I mean, a successful play could be a first down run that gains a first down. So you might not even be in second down, but most of the time when you're in second down, you're in second and manageable. You are not in second and nine, second and 10, second and eight even. You're in a manageable down and distance. So that's important to have production. It's also important to be able to pass the ball off of the run game. And I believe firmly that all running backs are not created equal, but also, you know, running backs are not the same value as quarterbacks, of course, or as other, some other key players out there, but it's unique to every team. Um, I was interested to see what Alfred Morris might bring to the table and some of the other backups in Dallas. Um, but from a success standpoint, like if I had Dallas overseason wins, you can't tell me that I wouldn't rather have Ezekiel Elliott running the ball. And if I'm looking to bet the over in this game, you can't tell me that I wouldn't rather have Ezekiel Elliott running the ball. So I thought it was kind of funny that people were betting the over here just because they thought that Ezekiel Elliott wasn't playing. Um, you get into the red zone, guess what? I could tell you this much for a fact. You want production on first downs in the red zone. You don't want to find yourself in third and long after having thrown the ball on first down, getting sacked on second down, and trying to walk away with a touchdown on a third and long as opposed to getting stuffed and having to kick a field goal, right? You need those seven points when you're trying to go over a total like this. That's why you want your best offensive players out there to have extreme balance and catch the defense off guard. So that's kind of a, a long-winded uh, backstory. I think that people need to – um, it's fine to come up with narratives. I'm guilty of it too if, if your narrative is a little bit off base, but it's important to try to uh, ground that narrative a little bit in reality as opposed to just hot takes and then them spiraling out of control, um, which is what I think happened here. Now, in this matchup, yes, I think there's tons of edges. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs um, are poor at stopping the run. Dallas should have a lot of success there. Sean Lee has been a great influence in terms of the points allowed for this Dallas Cowboys defense but that being said I do think that this Kansas City Chiefs offense 
with a very open playbook and a team that's had to go up against two brutal defenses in their last three games. Uh, we talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Denver Broncos. We'll find the sledding a lot easier against this Dallas Cowboys defense. Um, and so I do think we're going to see a pretty entertaining game. I think that there's a variety of, of players that make for good plays. And I'll talk about one in a little bit here. But, um, you know, I, I just think there's a reason why this total skyrocketed up to 54 and a half after being down at, you know, 51 and a half to 52 for most of the week uh, while Zeke wasn't playing. And some people might say, oh, well, it opened much lower than that. Not really, not at many of the major books if you're trying to get a consensus line. Um, this thing didn't open until like 51, if you're talking about like Pinnacle um, or Cantor, open at 51 and a half. So the, the majority of the sharper books did not open below 51, and it stayed pretty consistent until we heard Ezekiel Elliott coming back in, and that's when we really saw this movement towards the over. A lot of times you hear feedback on, on stuff like on takes like this where, oh, it's so easy to know Zeke is the play here. It's so easy to know that this game is a game to, to take all the guys from. Last week it was pretty easy to see you know, Russ Wilson was in a great spot. But guess what? Russ Wilson was not 100% owned. He was not even close. Like if you find a spot that you think is worth you know betting uh, heavily on, if you think it's a spot that you think it has a great chance for success, challenge your opponents to know what you know and don't make the assumption that high ownership is going to be a definite in a situation. Sure, a lot of guys were heavily owned in that game last week. Sure, Zeke was heavily owned the last time we talked about him on this show. But you can still find edge by going over the field in DFS on these spots that people do like. I just wanted to make that point because I did get some feedback uh, on, on, on you know, our take about Zeke that, oh, it's so easy to, you know, who, who, how, how easy is it to – to land on Zeke. Well, if it's so easy and the spot's so good, how come more people weren't doing it? So that's where I encourage you to challenge your opponents to know these sorts of things. My bet is on a frequent basis that they won't. Chris, it's time for you to give up a take on a game. Now, we saw the terrible news that Deshaun Watson uh, tore his ACL, probably done for the season. And the logical thinking on this would be, well, Tom Savage is bad. This game is just going to be in a void. We don't want any players from this game, right? Yeah, and I think that especially in DFS, this is this has turned into a <clears throat> excuse me a situation to exploit because now you have a situation where there's a lot of uncertainty. I don't think people quite know what to do with this game because I think everybody wanted to jam in Deshaun Watson. <clears throat> excuse me, they they wanted to jam in Deshaun Watson. They wanted to jam in DeAndre Hopkins. They wanted to jam in Will Fuller. And now you're in a, and, and Lamar Miller as well. And now you're in a situation, okay, the, the total drops to 46. It was over 50. And I think this game still has a solid shot at going over the total. I know Warren wants to talk about the Indianapolis side of this, which I like very much. So I'll talk about the Houston side of it. And, you know, Tom Savage, he's an unknown at this point. He got benched in week one because he dropped back 20 times and he took seven sacks. Now, he took seven sacks against the Jacksonville Jaguars. We now know that that team has a ferocious defense. They're number one in the league in sacks and in adjusted sack rate. They have 33 sacks. Their adjusted sack rate is 11.1%. The Indianapolis Colts have nowhere near as much of a pass rush. Their adjusted sack rate is 5.8%. That's 23rd in the league. And they only have 16 sacks, half as much as the uh, Jaguars. So totally different situation. Now, what's another thing about this game that I think people aren't really realizing? Well, all of Deshaun Watson's gaudy numbers this year in fantasy and, you know, real life, obviously, it's not just Deshaun Watson. He's, he has two receivers playing at an elite level right now. And one way that you can kind of gauge that is you can look at the PFF grades of these players because they're grading these players on, on a play-by-play -play basis. Now, this is not always going to reflect fantasy numbers because, you know, on a play-by-play -play basis, you can make one bad throw and one good throw. The bad throw is incomplete and the good throw is a 70-yard touchdown. And, you know, obviously your fantasy numbers are going to be a lot better than your grade. So with that being said, Deshaun Watson actually ranked 28th in out of 34 qualified quarterbacks in passing grade while – at the same time, DeAndre Hopkins 
ranked number three out of all of the wide receivers, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in rushing grade and, I mean, in receiving grade. And Will Fuller ranked 18th out of 111. So what that tells me is that as much as Deshaun Watson was playing well, his receivers were actually elevating him just the same. I mean, you have one of the best route runners, technical players in the game in DeAndre Hopkins. And then you have one of the best deep threats, who's like fastest guys who can just break open, get a ton of separation down the field where you can really make some hay in fantasy in Will Fuller. And the coach defense, this is the defense that's ranked dead last in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. They're dead last in almost every metric in terms of pass defense. And so this is a horrible defense. And if, if, for example, if this was just any old team that we don't usually target in DFS, and then all of a sudden they were playing the Indianapolis Colts, we would be looking at them. We'd be like, oh, hey, this is an under-the-radar play. But now I feel like people are kind of moving off these Houston Texans a little bit. And I want to exploit it because all of a sudden you can get Hopkins and Fuller in your lineups with Tom Savage, and it kind of makes it a lot cheaper because you're balancing out that uh, elevated cost of Hopkins and Fuller with the cheap cost of Savage at quarterback. And, again, these guys are elite these guys are playing at an elite level right now, and it's not just Hopkins, it's Fuller. And so I think that this is a really great spot, and I don't, I don't you know, the, the Hopkins and Fuller aren't just going to magically stop getting open against the worst pass defense in the league just because you have Tom Savage, and he's not just going to magically take, you know, seven sacks and 20 dropbacks against a team with no pass rush. So, uh, you know, Look at look at what we we've talked about these these Colts before in week three I think we talked about the Colts were going against the uh, Cleveland Browns we talked about how that was a situation to exploit what happened Deshaun Kaiser probably most people would agree the worst quarterback in the league so far this year he won somebody the Millie Maker against the Colts in week three then in week five we talked about it again Brian Hoyer we like Brian Hoyer and the 49ers against the Colts defense what happened Brian Hoyer won Cal Spears of Roto-Grinders, the millionaire maker. That's two times in three weeks, uh, uh, one, two of the worst quarterbacks, maybe the two worst quarterbacks, both benched um, mo- yeah, at least once this season um, in the millionaire maker. So what makes Tom Savage any different? I mean, and, and let's not forget, Tom Savage has been in Bill O'Brien's system since 2014, since Bill O'Brien got there. So I really like the spot for the Houston Texans still, and I, I don't think – we should necessarily we be moving off of any of these plays. You know, you kind of have to look at it like Occam's razor, where the simplest solution is sometimes the best. Okay, Deshaun Watson's out, pivot to Savage. Yeah, so this is another example of how thinking and probabilities can benefit you. Uh, is a good game in Savage's range of outcomes? Is it immediately, just because a bad game is far more likely from Tom Savage, does it, you know, escape his range of outcomes to throw three, four touchdown passes and get you to where you want to go in a GPP lineup. And like you said, in the stoop point, actually making it easier to afford, afford Will Fuller, who is like extremely high price compared to where we're used to paying for him, especially Hopkins priced up on DFS sites. These guys are still explosive. You know, this particular defense isn't getting any better just because Watson's not in there. So I do think that that is an interesting take on that game, uh, a game that I, I – admit that I may have written off a little bit too soon uh, before your comments there. I'm definitely going to take a second look. I thought that was pretty awesome. Now, you've also got a game that you think you want to take a look at from a spread perspective, correct? Yeah, I think the Los Angeles Rams, people might shy away from them a little. I think when you, when you have these road favorites, a lot of times when they're not like the popular chalk road favorites, like the Packers or the Patriots or somebody like that, people kind of tend to write them off or maybe they'll focus on just one player. Like, you know, Todd Gurley is obviously going to be pretty popular as he should be, but I really like the Rams offense in general. And I just like them to outperform uh, that three and a half point spread that they're, they're being given right now. And a couple of the reasons are number one, Janoris Jenkins, the giants top cornerback, he is suspended. Ben McAdoo suspended him. So that's a blow to their defense which their pass defense was actually ranked 22nd in pass DVOA. Their rush defense is 24. So this defense is not playing up to their talent level. And you also have their top pass rusher, Olivier Vernon. 
he looks like he's not going to play either. And if he does somehow surprisingly suit up and play, he's not going to be anywhere near 100%. So you're talking about a team that's essentially going to be down its top pass rusher and its top cornerback. And so Todd Gurley, we already know he can have success, but what about Sammy Watkins? I mean, Sammy Watkins, you know that Sean McVay, you know, offensive genius coming off the bye, he's looking for ways to get Sammy Watkins involved. And if Janoris Jenkins was health, was it not, uh, if he wasn't suspended, he would probably be shadowing Sammy Watkins. That's not going to happen now. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not too worried about Sammy Watkins uh, lack of production to date because we still did see him hit his ceiling game in week three against San Francisco. He had six catches, 106 yards, and he had two touchdowns. Now his, his numbers are pretty bad this year, but we tend to see those kind of thing regress to the mean you know look at uh Todd Gurley last year Sean McVay came along okay kind of got it figured out Todd Gurley immediately starts regressing even Jared Goff had one of the career you know worst seasons ever in the NFL last year as a rookie all of a sudden Sean McVay comes along changes up the offense a little and boom he starts regressing to the mean I think coming out of the bye I think that's going to be Sean McVay's Number one priority. They traded for Sammy Watkins for a reason. I, you know, they know to make a playoff push, they're going to have to get him going. You know, I think the, the matchup improves for Robert Woods on the outside as well. You know, he's going to see a ton of Eli Apple, a Ross Cockrell probably be in there as well. So it's just a good overall matchup for this uh, Rams offense. And as Warren talked about, you want that early down success. So you have that with Todd Gurley. You have that increased uh, uh, chances of having early down success with the run with Gurley or in the passing game because of the Giants lack of their top pass rusher and their top cornerback. And in addition to that, we didn't even get to the Rams defense, which has allowed only 39 points in its last 14 quarters. So you're looking at a situation where there's a lot of high price defenses that are in good spots, the Jaguars, the Eagles, the Seahawks, but there's not really much value at defense special teams this week that I see anywhere that I'm comfortable with. And I think the Rams are an interesting, in an interesting spot. You know, they are the favorite. They, they, they're, they're allowing less than uh, three points a quarter over the last 14 quarters. And they're going against a Giants team. No Odell Beckham, no Brandon Marshall. They, they're going to play in a lot more base personnel um, and, and try to run the football. But, you know, the Rams are really just playing much better D. They're playing up to their talent level because earlier in the season, I think when the season started, we thought the Rams would have a good defense. You know, this wasn't like, oh, this, this Rams, they have no talent. You know, they just kind of got off to a really bad start. Aaron Donald has come back. Now they're kind of rounding into shape. I think even with the Rams traveling across the country, they're, they're coming off a bye, so it's not as a serious issue. I think they have a big advantage in this game, and I, I think you have to kind of look – at this game as a game to target, at least on the Rams side, because with all the craziness going on in the slate and, you know, people kind of getting off the, the, the Colts Texans game somewhat, and people kind of really probably going to go overboard with the Dallas KC game. And they're going to go overboard with the Tampa Bay, New Orleans game. You're going to need some other games to kind of gain dif- differentiation. And if you have like a Jared Goff, Sammy Watkins, Todd Gurley, Rams D onslaught or something like that and you know that that's probably going to be like a like combined that's going to be like a less than one percent owned play so you know if that hits and especially because a lot of the chalk quarterbacks like you know Dak Prescott or you know Alex Smith even Drew Brees obviously Russell Wilson all those guys are in a certain salary they're in the upper salary tier if, if you can get a guy like a Jared Goff or something in a whole different salary tier than than these other chalk quarterbacks you're going to be in a really good spot. So, you know, I I encourage people to really kind of, as Warren alluded to, you know, look at some games that that you think are are kind of off the radar that you feel good about. And for me, I really feel feel good about that Rams side um, of this Rams-Giants game. And no one's really talking about this game other than uh, Todd Gurley. Three guys that will make you forget about Sammy Watkins real quick. Patrick Peterson, uh, A.J. Bouye slash Jalen Ramsey, and uh, Richard Sermon slash uh, Shaq Griffin. Those guys will make you forget about Watkins quick. Last three quarterbacks he's seen. I'm not feeling the same way about what we're going to see in New York this week. I think that's a great take there. Now, Warren, 
What, what do you got to say here about the Colts plus seven? Because we talked about that game just a little while ago, and you have it listed here as a game uh, from a spread perspective to talk about. Um, yeah, that's that's a game. You know, Chris tackled one side of that um, with regard to the Houston Texans. Um, and I think a lot of people just look at the Colts and they see a team that they just feel is terrible, you know, because the reputation is there for how horrible this defense is. And the perception is that this offense is not good either. But this is a team that, um, look, you first have to start this analysis by looking at who they're playing. And that's the Houston Texans defense. And we know what Russell Wilson just did to this team. And I'm not going to try to suggest that Jacoby Brissett is like Russell Wilson. But just to save the numbers, Russell Wilson, 452 passing yards, 11 yards per attempt. 63% of his 41 attempts were graded as successful. That's massive four touchdowns to one interception. Um, now the two biggest kind of position groups that really exploited that defense of the Houston Texans was the tight end. Jimmy Graham had an 80% success rate on his targets, a 139 passer rating, eight yards per attempt with two touchdowns. And the boundary receivers, Tyler Lockett and Paul Richardson, those guys each delivered. So both of them each delivered a 117 plus passer rating, 15 plus yards per attempt, and they each recorded six plus receptions. Um, if you look at the Houston Texans defense, over the last month, 9.5 yards per attempt allowed to wide receivers, a 57% success rate on all targets. Both of those rank third worst in the league. This is not the same defense. We said this before, so I won't belabor the point that we've saw, we saw earlier in the season with J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless, and on and on and on. They've lost so many different starters, cluster injuries along that defensive line and the defensive front that it's very difficult for them to perform at the high level that we're accustomed to seeing. Now, I just mentioned a couple of the key um, position groups that have targeted this Texans team well. Well, guess what? The Houston uh, – sorry, the Indianapolis Colts, their two best offensive players from the receiver position – are those types of players. T.Y. Hilton, the boundary-type receiver, who could do a lot of damage down the field. Um, he's delivered 19.3 yards per attempt, deep right or deep middle, um, solid success rate on short passes as well, but he's very dangerous deep, uh, even with Jacoby Brissett throwing him the ball. And Jack Doyle, of course, Jack Doyle is ridiculously high in terms of success rate in the short area of the field. Within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage, 60% success rate to the left, 56% to the right, and 64%, uh, sorry, 64% to the right, and 56% to the middle. This is a player who is got a lot of chemistry with Jacoby Brissett right now. And we just talked about this as a matchup they could potentially exploit. The other thing that we haven't discussed is the strength of schedule that the Indianapolis Colts have faced. They've actually faced the fourth most difficult schedule of opposing defenses from a success rate perspective. From a success rate perspective, the fourth difficult from a, from a passing success rate perspective. If you look at the teams that they've played, they fall into like three different groups of defenses. They've played top five defenses. They've played three of them. The Jaguars, the Cardinals, and the Rams. The Colts scored 0, 9, and 13 points against those teams. Against teams that rank in sort of the second tier, 6 through 11, they played the Seahawks, the Titans, and the Bengals. They scored 18, 22, and 23 points against those teams. Then you take a look at all the teams ranked 16th or worse, bottom half of the league, basically. So you could say 17th or worse. doesn't really matter. San Francisco and Cleveland, they scored 26 and 31 points offensively in those ga games. The Texans ranked 22nd right in that bottom category grouping. But after the first month of the season, now that they've had these injuries, they are allowing a 56% success rate on passes in one-score games. That's second worst in the NFL. I really feel like the Colts, they're going to be in this group of, of, of opponents where this is the type of opponent that the uh, Indianapolis Colts have success against. This Houston Texans defense, I think they're going to be able to be balanced in this game. Probably won't be trailing quite as much as was perceived earlier. And that'll give them more opportunities to stay balanced throughout the course of this game. This team went up into Cincinnati and almost won that game on the road. Cincinnati was 11-point favorite. They really outperformed uh, what their expectations were in that spot. I thought the 13 points that was set on this game was – obviously high um but the fact that you don't have your quarterback Deshaun Watson he's a massive blow because I really do think that 
Bill O'Brien is going to go back to the things that he was doing earlier in the season uh, with Tom Savage. But those aren't the types of explosive offensive things that we saw, you know, with Deshaun Watson. Those are much more scaled back, measured approach. I'm not saying that Chris is wrong by any stretch that they're some of the players couldn't still have good stat lines against this terrible Indianapolis Colts defense. But what I am saying is that it's going to be a game that's going to be within more closer reach for the Indianapolis Colts. And the reason why I like this game over the total back at when it was set at 49 earlier in the week, that thing got up as high as 52 and a half before Deshaun Watson injured himself. And the reason for some of that line movement was simply because it wasn't just all what's Deshaun Watson going to do. He's going to score 50 points. It was the fact that the Indianapolis Colts offense is slightly underrated considering these tough defenses that they faced. And when they play poor defenses, especially against the pass, they've had success, at least in terms of a point production standpoint. And I believe they're going to carry that on into Houston. The other like sort of silver lining that you get here in this game is that let's pretend for a moment Obviously, it's probably intelligent, too, that this Texans offense won't be as successful on a consistent basis as they were earlier in the year with Deshaun Watson. And when that happens, inevitably, that will give the Indianapolis Colts more opportunities offensively. I'm not necessarily suggesting that Tom Savage is going to throw a bunch of interceptions that give the Colts great starting field position, but we could be seeing more three and outs, let's say, from the uh, Houston Texans than we would have seen with Deshaun Watson there. And that inevitably gives the Indianapolis Colts a little bit more opportunity to perform offensively. So I think that the Indianapolis Colts have been written off pretty quickly. Um, Everybody thinks that this is a terrible team, uh, but I think that there is some merit to them, and I think that they've got the opportunity to keep this game close. Uh, awesome stuff, Warren. I mean, we crushed the hell out of that Vegas segment right there. Lots of great information there. Unfortunately, we'll have to abbreviate some of our takes here in the analytics segment, but no worries. Uh, you've already drilled into us some of the things Dallas has been doing in the run game, and uh, you, I know you're pretty big on that game right now. Tell us a little bit about what we can expect from Zeke this week, Warren. Yeah, I, do, I just think that there is um, a number of significant edges for him. I don't think that the um, Kansas City Chiefs have faced a run game like this that's liable to be as balanced and as explosive. And that's one of the key things that we have to remember with regard to this game is the explosive element of the Dallas Cowboys run offense. The Dallas Cowboys have one of the most explosive run offenses in the NFL. Um, they actually clock in as the second most explosive run offense That's the weakness of the Kansas City Chiefs. They rank dead last in explosive run defense, dead last in the NFL. And that's despite playing the sixth easiest schedule of opposing offenses in explosive rushing games. And my definition up at Sharp Football Stats is 10 plus yards on a carry. That's an explosive run play. And so that's what I mean when I say explosive run gains. The Cowboys have the highest rate, second highest rate in the league at explosive run gains. We've seen Ezekiel Elliott. We've seen his production. Now, the one thing that I will say you need to temper your expectations on Ezekiel Elliott is from a pass reception standpoint. The Cowboys would be best suited not to get Ezekiel Elliott as involved in the pass game this week as they have been in prior weeks because Dallas is a pretty inefficient team throwing the ball to Zeke. They've had a couple of big games, obviously the 49ers game was the biggest, but uh, that's the strength of the Kansas City Chiefs defense overall. If you look at how they do against covering, you know, all types of position groups overall in passing, overall in rushing, their main strength where they rank number one in the NFL is defending running backs out of the backfield. That's their best strength, much better advantage for them in that category than what Dallas brings to the table offensively. So I think they'd be wise to run a lot of Zeke, The other thing, too, that I think is interesting about this game, if you take the perspective that Dallas Cowboys were planning that Ezekiel Elliott was not going to play until this morning when they found out the good news, he's practicing with the team, he's going to get extra practice over the weekend because he missed several of the practices. Guess what? They've been working on a lot of different creative things offensively that, based on film study, should be able to target the weaknesses of this Kansas City Chiefs defense. And I can guarantee you that if you're an offensive coordinator and you're finding some great edges where, hey, we don't have Zeke, but guess what? We could target these guys using this type of route uh, or this type of concept. 
And you're not going to say, oh, well, Zeke's back, so we're just going to trash those plays that we were really high on that really are going to target the, the weaknesses. Hell no, you're going to still roll those out. What that means could potentially mean more trips down to the red zone, more chances of getting into scoring position, which would obviously give a little bit better value to Ezekiel Elliott. So um, I'm not necessarily slam dunk on him like I was back against the 49ers in week seven, but I think he's in a, a great spot this week. And I'm interested to see maybe Chris, either of the Chris's have a take on how this team is, you know, if you're playing DFS and you've already begun a lot of roster construction and we're sitting here on Friday morning and some of the guys are already tinkering and submitted lineups and that sort of thing. Um, how easy is it to like suddenly swap Ezekiel Elliott in and how much ownership do you guys foresee him having because of what happened earlier in the week, as opposed to let's pretend that uh, this suspension talk didn't occur this week and he was always planning on playing. Like, what do you guys think the ownership change uh, is from, he always was playing to the situation we have now where all of a sudden he's going to be playing uh, and we're sitting here Friday morning. I'll jump on that one. I mean, thankfully this news broke five minutes after I hit submit on my most recent update to ownership projections on Roto-Grinders. So I didn't actually get to plug in what I think the exact number is going to be, but I do think that Ezekiel Elliott is going to attract attention from an ownership perspective for a number of reasons. We talked about game totals earlier and they are heavily influencers on ownership projections in my model. And we can also talk about the fact that recency bias and past performance has been heavily in Zeke's favor. Uh, we've seen him do nothing but play well. And then when you take a look at matchup-based analytics and things that the public is going to see from a matchup perspective, he's at top of mind from all the news. You just outlined a number of reasons why he'll be in a good spot. I do think he'll get plenty of traction. The only thing that's left for me to do when weighing ownership projections is kind of compare that to his price point and how he fits in roster construction. Chris, maybe you've done something on that? Yeah, I think that Ezekiel Elliott is going to be – he's definitely getting to double digits. He's probably going to be somewhere in that like 10 to, to 8, 17-ish range. I don't, I don't know if he'll necessarily top 20 um, on DraftKings only because – He's a little more expensive. I think he's $900 more than Todd Gurley. And I think when you have these four stud running backs, Gurley, Fournette, Hunt, and Elliott all on the slate, it kind of just drives down all of their ownership a little bit. It spreads it out a little bit. Um, on FanDuel, Elliott is a little less expensive than Hunt and Gurley. So there, I think you'll see his ownership probably push uh, above 20% because it's, it's just easy to fit people on FanDuel, really. Um, you can kind of get any kind of roster construction you want uh, on their site. And, but on DraftKings, it's a little tougher, so I think you'll kind of see it be held in check. But, yeah, I don't think that anyone's really going to, to shy away from Zeke, especially because, as we talked about earlier, you know, he is the home favorite in this matchup. And as you mentioned, Chris, very high uh, total. So um, he's definitely going to be – there, but I like that he's playing because what it does is it just slightly, or, or maybe not even slightly, maybe a little bit significantly drives down the ownership of the other stud backs. So instead of having you know three stud backs, you know above that 8K range that are that are in play, now you have four, and and now all of their ownerships go down a little bit, and now you know whoever you're rolling with in tournaments or however you're splitting up your exposure, you're getting a little bit more leverage on each of those guys. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Now, uh, we are a little short on time here, Chris. I don't know if you want to address real quick what you have to say about Zach Ertz, and then we'll probably jump right down to the chalk here after this, and we'll have to skip the defensive segment here for this week. What do you got here on Zach Ertz? Well, real quick, I mean, you know, Denver, they, their cornerbacks are so good. You know, Akib Tlaib has given up 106 yards in coverage the whole season. Uh, Chris Harris has given up 187. Den Denver essentially funnels everything to the tight end. Uh, position. They're 28th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. And they are number one in my funnel ratings that I created that I think we talked about last week or the week before. So, you know, Zach Gertz has double digit fantasy points in every single game he's played this year, even on Fanda with the half point uh, PPR. So um, as long as he's good to go, I know he had a little hamstring scare in practice, but he seems like he's good to go. If he's good to go, um, even though it's an elite defense, you know, fantasy points are scored in every game. And Zach Ertz, once again, as he is every week, is likely to score them for the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, well, let's start talking about some plays that we think people are going to be on this week for DFS purposes, the chalk, as they call it. Uh, I, I gave out a list of, you know, a bunch of different guys I thought 
might get some traction here this week. Uh, anyone on that list strike your interest that you want to talk about or anyone that you've got outside that list that you think is going to be worth meriting from a popular play perspective? Uh, yeah, I, I like Chris's take on um, on Gurley. I think Gurley's in an excellent position here. And, and actually, I think that there's a couple players in that game. This is a this is kind of a chalky game. Um, you know, the Rams are going to be the public side to this game. But I think that there's a couple of plays um, offensively for the Rams. Um, some of them aren't quite as chalky, and maybe we'll talk about those later. But I think Gurley, you know, to keep it brief, he's in a great situation. I think that there's opportunities for him to get work in the pass game and the run game here. And I don't want to re- really re- rehash uh, waste time going over what Chris already said, but I, I, I do like Todd Gurley from the running back perspective this week. Makes a lot of sense based on the analysis we gave on that game earlier. Uh, Chris, what about you? I mean, tons of chalk to talk about this week. We've got, you know, the higher priced quarterbacks. We've got like a T.Y. Hilton who's cheap on DraftKings will be popular there. Uh, you've got, you know, Hunt uh, as a guy in Kansas City. We talked about that game a bunch. We talked about Jack Doyle a bunch. Uh, and we talked about some of the defenses. We're, we're you know, where have you looked at as far as the chalk as a guy you think we can really capitalize on for week number nine? Right. Well, I guess I'll just run down a bunch of them that you mentioned really quick. So the, the, the expensive quarterback tier, you know, Russ Wilson, Dak Prescott, Drew Brees, that tier uh, to me in tournaments anyway, in cash games, you know, fine. You know, those guys are all pretty high floor plays, you know, at, at, even adding Alex Smith to that, honestly. I mean, I think his lowest game this year has been around 13 points, which is one of the higher floors among quarterbacks. But it could be a little bit of a trap in tournaments just because I think that there's going to be so much ownership in that salary tier. And anytime there's a ton of ownership in the salary tier, I think especially in a tournament, especially as you get into the larger field, you want to try to think about how can I differentiate in roster construction and keep my upside intact. And, you know, we already talked about one way you can go Jared Goff. Another way, you know, don't conflate uh, going from Watson to Tom Savage with going from Watson to Brock Osweiler. You know, to- two totally different guys. Brock Osweiler could not get the ball to anybody. Uh, you know, Tom Savage has his warts. You know, that's certainly true. That there's a reason why he wasn't starting and never was a starter. But, um, you know, he's not Brock Osweiler. And, you know, I think that's important to keep in mind. So those are a couple of guys that you can kind of pivot to in tournaments. In, as far as T.Y. Hilton, I think something that's really interesting with T.Y. Hilton, and it, it kind of goes back to what me and Warren talked about, is it, it's really going to be key for the Colts to kind of stay ahead uh, of, 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 that, of that, that seven-point line and kind of keep this game close. Because what happens with T.Y. Hilton in, in this Colts passing game offense and the dynamic with him and Jack Doyle is in the second half of games over the whole entire season this year, when the Colts are trailing over the whole season, it, guess how many passes he's caught over the whole season in the second half when the Colts are trailing? What, any of y'all, just guess. 12. One. One. One pass. In the, he's caught one of nine targets in the second half. When, t- when teams know, when the Colts get into must-pass situations in the second half of games and teams are playing their, their, their pass defense and they, and they know the Colts are going to pass, they can take T.Y. T.Y. Hilton, you can take him out of the game. Jack Doyle has caught 14 passes in those same situations and 19 targets for 107 yards. So it's going to be critical for the Colts to kind of stay ahead uh, of, of, of these Houston Texans and kind of keep this game close. And, you know, for you guys out there, it really comes down again. Take your stand on the game. How do you feel about the game? And, and kind of make your roster decisions accordingly because I know T.Y. Hilton and Doyle are both going to be popular plays. Now, Jack Doyle, you know, tight ends, targets per game are actually the most predictive uh, conventional box score stat for tight ends. Jack Doyle's averaging 7.9 targets per game. That's only 0.1 behind uh, the leaders, which are Rob Gronkowski and Zach Ertz at 8.0 targets per game. So, and over the last three weeks, Doyle, 11 targets and 14 targets in two of the three games. So, Jack Doyle, I think he's going to see his work no matter what. His value goes up if the Colts are kind of down in that game. So if you're, if you're kind of on board with my, with my Houston offense take and you don't think it's maybe as bad as people think it is with, with the downgrade to Tom Savage, you might want to get maybe a, a Doyle stack, bring it back with, with the Hopkins or a Fuller or something like that. If you, if you, if you really like this Colts offense, you might want to get some Jacoby Brissett going with, with some T.Y. Hilton. Um, Kareem Hunt now against Dallas. Dallas actually ranks 30th in run DVOA and 31st in – pass defense success rate, which you can find on sharp football stats against running backs. 
So Kareem Hunt averaging 5.2 yards per carry, 11 yards per catch. That He's in another one of these blow-up spots from an efficiency standpoint. And perhaps, perhaps with Zeke playing now, Hunt, you know, that road underdog, maybe people might not be on him as quite as much as they should. He hasn't scored a touchdown in, in four or five weeks. Um, that's just negative variance. You know, that's, that's not – he also scored three in week one. So, you know, that's not something you can necessarily knock him for. Um, he's in a really good spot. And uh, as far as the defense special teams, I'll just say, you know, Philadelphia in a really good spot. Denver ranks dead last in uh, schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to defenses. And the reason I like that metric is when you're looking at schedule-adjusted fantasy points to defenses, it's not just the quarterback and, you know, throwing interceptions. And I know they have a great matchup against Brock Osweiler, but it also takes into account things like fumbling on, on, on special teams and things like that. And I know Isaiah McKenzie, Denver's punt returner. I think John, John Gruden was alluding to it on, on Monday Night Football, you know, already four fumbles this year. So Denver, a team that this is not the same team that was coached by Gary Kubiak. This is not the same team that went to the Super Bowl. This is not Wade Phillips defense. This is not, you know, Kubiak's offense. This is a, this is a, this is a questionable Denver team. And, you know, Philadelphia is the best team in football. Um, I think they're in a really good spot against this team with Denver traveling for the second straight week. First, they have to go to Arrowhead. Now they're in Philadelphia with a, with a new quarterback on a short week. I think it's a, it's kind of a, a an eruption spot for these Eagles. Uh, great stuff there on the chalk, Chris. Uh, Warren, we're now going to take a turn to guys we might find under the radar here. So give me two, three sentences, maybe a little bit more on a guy you think is going to go a little bit under the radar, maybe some value for us here in DFS this week. Yeah, I think um, I think one spot could be if if somebody's looking to is uh is once again we're going to go back to the well with the uh, tight ends against the Cincinnati Bengals and we went on a Jacksonville tight end once before. Um, I think that there's a little bit of opportunity here. You talk about the tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars in this game against the Bengals. Um, a lot of a lot of belief that we're going to have a ton of run game with Leonard Fournette and that sort of thing. And, and I do think that they'll, they'll have a lot of success running the football there. Uh, but tight ends have really eaten up the Cincinnati Bengals defense. They're allowing 8.9 yards per pass attempt. That's 29th in the league, 62% success rate. That's second worst in the league. Um, so I think, uh, you know, there is some opportunity, some upside for the Jaguars in that perspective. Um, and, uh, and Mercedes Lewis, you know, a, a nice possibility if you're looking for, like, somebody way off the radar, I think. Yeah, they're definitely going to be one that's going to be under the radar. I don't think anyone's going to be talking about that one. And uh, you, so far, you're one for one on Mercedes Lewis calls this season. Let's hope that you go two for two here. Don't, don't, count, don't count on uh, replicating that three touchdown game, though. <laughs> let's, let's, let's not get that, that ahead of ourselves. You know what, I, I, uh, I project ownership here for Roto-Grinders. I'm going to throw in the take here on something I think is going to be a little bit lower owned. Actually, echoing of a take you can hear on the DFS MVP podcast featuring Chris Raybon. Shout out there, Chris, because I had the same thought about Curtis Samuel. Now, I, a lot, I've heard a lot of people say, hey, I want to wait and see how this shakes out before I jump on him. But the problem is in DFS tournaments, if you wait and see, um, his price might skyrocket and you might not get him at this kind of a price point again. So I'm going to speculate a little bit in tournaments on him. Atlanta does have a fairly high rate of explosive uh, plays loud. If you look at the shortfootballstats.com, I think they're ranked 22nd in the league in that particular category here. Yep, that's uh, the number I'm looking at here on Shrink the Schedule, shortfootballstats.com. Uh, you also want to take uh, into consideration the fact that they're looking to get some speed on the field. That's one of the reasons why they were comfortable trading Calvin Benjamin. I don't, a lot of people think that they might have been comfortable with Funches as the reason for trading Benjamin. But in my opinion, the reason they probably felt good about trading him is they might be comfortable with Curtis Samuel. So for the price tag, you're going to get him, particularly on a site like DraftKings, he can get behind uh, that defense for, uh, against some cornerbacks, quite frankly, that haven't performed that well this season. Uh, I don't mind going after Curtis Samuel. Chris, who do you got? This is going to be, you know, I don't think I ever saw myself saying this, but Eddie Lacy, I think, is really intriguing this week for a few reasons. Again, in tournaments, you always want to leverage uncertainty. You want to be greedy when others are fearful, right? That's a Warren Buffett quote, and I love it. I think it applies so perfectly to DFS. And it kind of goes right back into your Samuel take, Chris, where it's like people are still fear fearful, so why not be greedy now? Because if, if Samuel has a good game, you know, 
then people are going to be greedy next week and it's too late. So same thing with Eddie Lacy. Now look, I, I, we know the Seattle offensive line is poor. However, there's a couple of things that have changed since um, we kind of last, I guess, ever seriously considered any Seattle running backs. Number one, they have a new offensive lineman in Dwayne Brown at left tackle. Now that's going to help solidify the offensive line a bit. Um, Reese Odiombo was a, 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 probably the weakest link on that line in both run and pass blocking. So it's going to help a little there. Now, another thing that has changed is Pete Carroll came out and said, Hey, we want to ride Eddie Lacy. We're, we're done kind of splitting up these carries. We want to feature back. We want to, we're going to give Eddie Lacy a shot. We want to get him going early and we want him to be our finisher in the second half of the game. We want him to, to, to kind of close the game a la LeGarrette Blunt style, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. So you have a situation where Eddie Lacy is probably going to be force fed 15 to 18 carries in this game, even if he struggles, where in the past it's kind of been, if Lacey struggles, you're bringing Rawls. If Rawls struggles, maybe you bring back Lacey, or maybe you go to McKissick, and, you know, there's all these things going on. So, and on top of that, let's not, you know, there's negative recency bias, of course, with the Seattle running game. They, I think Lacey had six carries for no yards last week, and Rawls had six carries for negative one. So, you know, not good. Not very good at all. However, we've seen a couple of usable DFS games for – uh, the Seattle run game. You know, Chris Carson had a couple of them earlier in the year. We also saw Eddie Lacy coming against the Colts and run 11 times for 52 yards. That's a pretty solid yards per carry average. Now, especially on DraftKings where he's 3,200. I mean, if this guy gets even one touchdown, even if he doesn't run, even if he doesn't hit the 100-yard bonus or anything like that, if he gets one touchdown, you got a ton of leverage on that Seattle passing game, which is going to be one of the most highest-owned passing games of the week. And he's just a kind of uh, contrarian roster construction that you can't really get to. There's not many other plays at 3,200 uh, aside from maybe uh, a guy you mentioned, Chris and Curtis Samuel. So Eddie Lacy, home favorite running back. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget Washington traveling across the country after their defense just got punched in the mouth by the Dallas Cowboys. Let's not forget Washington's offensive line banged up. So just like Warren talked about um, in one of the other games, you know, if you have a situation where one offense is struggling and you know Seattle's defense is going to be mad after they kind of got shown up, even though they won that game last week against Houston. Um, if Washington is going three and out more, that's more uh, opportunities for that Seattle offense, more ball control. And, you know, I really like Lacey in this spot at that salary. I don't really see much of a downside. I mean, even if he flops, you know, at 3,200, you can still kind of survive that um, pretty much in any kind of format if you're hitting on some of your other plays. So, um, I think he, he's going to go a little under the radar just because he pretty much discussed people at this point. He, he, everyone's kind of written them off. Play that makes a lot of sense if you think that Washington offensive line is going to struggle this week with all the injuries as I do. I think that Lacey would be a pretty good correlation play there with the Seattle defense if, uh, if, if, if that in fact happens. Folks, that's going to do it for this week's show. If you could use only three resources in DFS, I'll give you three right now that would make a lot of sense uh, to use in your weekly process. First, you'll go to Sharp Football Stats and sharpfootballanalysis.com and find everything that Warren's got to offer. You'll head over to rotogrinders.com. You'll check out RG Premium, get multiple sports for a value price. And you'll also head over to 444.com for your NFL needs because, quite frankly, there's hardly a debate as to whether they're one of the top places to go for NFL knowledge and industry. And I would certainly place them up near the tippy top or the very top, quite frankly. They're just an awesome resource for NFL knowledge. Head over to 444.com and check them out. That's going to do it for the show. For Warren, for Chris, I'm Chris Tremino. We'll be back again in week 10.